Thank you for that. And uh, for those of you wanting to register for Promise Hawaii, <laughs> somehow the sign-up sheet for that is pretty long. I don't know. People coming in from all over the place. <clears throat> you know, um, when my husband and I were still just dating really, really early on in our uh, relationship, uh, one night we went to dinner with one of his friends who I had never met before. And uh, he pre-warned me. He said, listen, my friend is, is not a believer at all, you know, and it's, he's, he, he knows few English language, few of the English language words in, in between the cussing, if you get what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> he hasn't got a handle on the English language. So uh, we, went, we went to dinner, and of course the dinner starts, and uh, he was right. I was bracing myself, and I'm like, oh, help me. And then, of course, nothing hurts me more than when somebody uses the Lord's name in vain. Right? So he says it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, just, just see. And, 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 I, and he's going on, going on again, and then he says it again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't take this, I can't take this. And the third time, as he says, Jesus, Terry interrupts and goes, Speaking of Jesus, my wife's a pastor and she's preaching tomorrow. Are you busy? No lie, I was just like, that is the best I've ever heard. He just literally cut him off and said, speaking of Jesus, are you busy tomorrow? Because she's preaching. And immediately he was like, oh, oh, sorry, you're, you're a pastor? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, he's like, so um, like, what book do you use? Now, if you know a little bit about the different books that religions use, then you know, I already know who I'm dealing with, okay? I said, well, we use the Bible. I said, as most people do, I said, the only people that use their own books are Mormons, Jehovah Witness, and Islam. So, which one are you, <laughs> you know? And he's like, oh, I grew up, I grew up Mormon. He said, oh, so you don't have your own book. I said, no, no, we just have the word of God. <laughs> and uh, so, but what happened is he got so curious. He's like, well, how do you know your book's, your book's the right one, you know, versus the other people's books? And I said, well, and actually Terry jumped in, and from the little I had taught him at the time of the ancient manuscripts, he comes, he jumped in on the conversation, was like, well, there's all these ancient manuscripts, and, you know, it's actually one of the most historically reliable documents there are. And so this opened up this conversation so that he could, uh, he had all this curiosity. Suddenly he was questioning, and, and then every time he went to swear, he was like, oh, sorry, you know? So immediately he was like catching himself and it made the dinner all that much more pleasant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, my sermon title is, today is What to Say When. Because, you know, you've heard, uh, we've been hearing these amazing teachings from Apostle Henry um, about where we're at and that Jesus is coming soon. And if it's done anything in you, it's stirred an urgency, to be like, oh man, I don't want my family to be left behind. I don't want my friends to not, to not miss heaven. I don't want this. And, and what happens is, uh, as the dean of the Bible college, I get asked a lot of questions. And what I've noticed over the years is I get asked a lot of the same questions. 
sometimes in a different way. Oh, I was talking to my friend and, and they asked this and this and this. It's, it's, it's basically the same questions I get asked all the time. And what I find is that people just need some simple answers to be able to give to people that can help them in an instant, in a moment, uh, and bring clarity, all right? And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. There's a scripture in Ephesians, and it's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and we'll put that up on the screen for you. And it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, or I could put the word my responsibility in there, my responsibility is to equip God's people, a.k.a. you, to do the work of the ministry and build up the church, the body of Christ. So this scripture is saying that we are to equip, that I am to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, that applies to many things. Yes, it applies to help serving in the church and and doing your role. But it's also talking about you doing the work of the ministry and building up the church so that God can be glorified, so that people can find out about who God is, who Jesus is, what the good news of the gospel is. So that's my job. I'm to equip you to help you have answers and do it. It's not just about the fivefold ministry doing the work in the in the social settings, in the jobs. You know why? Because most of us are already in the ministry doing the work. We need people in every facet of life. Every single one of you are placed on the earth and have an, your own calling and purpose and plan from God. And every single one of you are in a place that only you can be and will talk to people only you can talk to. Doesn't matter if you're a school teacher or even a stay at home mom with the other moms at the park, or if you're an entrepreneur or what, if you work in the library, it doesn't matter. Don't discount where you are because somebody in your life you have impact in. You can see by what happened with Martisa. Martisa came here, got on fire. What did she do? Just shared it with her friend who got on fire, who shared it with another friend, who now got healed and on fire. Do you see how this is meant to go? I couldn't have reached those people by myself. I needed the people, the body of Christ, to do their part. You are a minister of the good news. But sadly, this isn't being preached very much. See, I think if you look around, you'll notice that most Christians are living for themselves. And if you look at a lot of Christians' lives, they'd probably have a hard time distinguishing their life from their coworker or from their friend's life. Maybe the only difference is that they go to church on Sunday. You know? Oh, what do you, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. And unfortunately, we live in a society that we're raised with this mentality, and I, I get it, of I got to take care of me, you know, I got to, I got to work hard. I got to graduate college. I got to get good grades so I can get a good job so I can make a good living. I got to get a house because my wife is going to want a house, you know, and uh, we get focused on, oh, I want a new car. We've got to save for the next vacation. Let's own multiple homes. You know, let's get our kids through college. And listen, let me tell you, all of those things in and of themselves, they're not evil. Okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't want them. I understand. We want them. God wants to take care of you. He wants you to have them. The problem comes when they become our focus for six days of the week. And then people come to church on Sunday and they just want to add a little Jesus to their life. 
let's just throw in a little Jesus to my already full life. And then sometimes people can't even come to church on Sunday because they're working. Do you know how many times I hear this? Oh, I can't come to church on Sunday. I'm working. Why haven't you asked your boss for Sunday off? Why haven't you prayed and said, God, I want to be in your house. Get me out of this job on Sundays with more money for not working on Sunday. And you don't think he will do it? Of course he will do it. It's about the priority But what happens is they get sucked into this life of like, okay, it's all about this. And then just let's just add some Jesus. And that makes me a Christian. And sadly, this is what churches preach, that this is okay, that this is all it means to be a Christian. Come to church on Sunday, read a little devotional on your phone and you're totally fine. But let's see what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. What did he say? The last thing before he leaves, he's talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. And what does he say? He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, what did he say? He commanded people, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and share. Go and talk to other people. I'm not sure what people plan to say when they get to heaven when Jesus asks so what did you do with all the authority and power I gave you well God I I made a ton of money did you see that house we got in Cabo you know he's like man did you see my physique I, I worked out I took care of myself you know God you know did you see how many followers I had on Instagram Lord he's like oh okay but is anybody in heaven here because of you Did you talk to those people that I put around you? Did you disciple any of them? I gave you authority and power. I gave you the ability if my my spirit was in you to reach their spirit, to impact them, to pull them. All you had to do was talk. You were the one I put in their path. You know, but on the flip side of that, I know that there are so many people here sitting in front of me today and watching online, that you're doing this, that you love the Lord, and that you are sharing, and that I have so many amazing stories of people coming to me going, oh, I told this person, or I posted this on my Instagram, and somebody came to church because of that. We have that story here. Christina posted on her Instagram, and Diana saw it, and Diana came to church because she posted and said, hey, I'll save you a seat. And she said, are you sure? She didn't even know her. And she showed up to church because she posted, hey, I'll save you a seat at my church if you want to come. So yes, I know there's a lot of people sitting here and this is your heart's desire. You want to invite people. You're doing what you can. But sometimes we don't have all the tools in our toolbox. You know, we're afraid. Most people I find are just a little bit nervous in case they don't have the right answer. Like what happens if they say something and I don't know the right answer? I'm going to give you a few tips today that are going to help you get out of something if you don't know it. But then also just a few very simple, powerful answers that you can that you can. Take to the bank that honestly is going to come up more, more often than you'd 
want to know. So if you don't have a pen and pencil, the service is recorded. You can always go back to the website, thepromisesd.org, um, excuse me, and you can re-listen to the messages. And then also you can, uh, if you're writing them down, you can write down the answers as well. Can I have my mic just a little bit louder? Thanks, guys. Okay, so the number one, first I want to deal with a, a way to get you out of something, but it's not just to get you out of it, it's to, uh, we're going to take that one down, I'm not starting with that one, thank you guys. Um, most times in a conversation, if somebody is uh, saying something, maybe it's the person says to you, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe in creation. So now they've started a conversation, you weren't talking about creation, they've said it first, I don't believe in creation. Now, what most Christians want to do is they want to go on the defense and they want to defend our beliefs. But see, the thing is, we didn't make the statement, they did. So the burden of proof lies on the person who made the statement. So when somebody makes a statement like, I don't believe in creation, and they're having a conversation, this is not somebody who's being combative, okay? I don't believe in creation. Your response should be, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Can I ask you how you came to that conclusion? That's the question. How did you come to that conclusion? Write that down. How did you come to that conclusion? And you're asking it in an honest way. You want to know how they've come to this belief. This is their belief. How did you come to it? Now the person's probably going to go, uh, well, uh, now, either these are the three choices. They might have a really good answer, and they say, well, I've actually studied science and biology and, and all this my whole life. I'm very, uh, I understand the Big Bang, and this and, the, and they go into a whole scientific explanation. If they do this, then you know they've a person who needs the facts, and you can talk to them about the facts because they've done their homework. But if they hum and they haw and they come up with some random answer, most times people's not wanting to believe in God are based on either they need the right facts or it's emotional or volitional. So if they've got all the facts, then you know, okay, I've got to deal with this person scientifically. I've got to know my answer here. But if it's all over the place, then listen, they're not believing in God for one of two reasons. It's emotional or volitional. Emotional means one of, that perhaps when they were a child or while they were growing up, something happened to them pretty tragic to turn them against God. An example, their dad, their parents, they were raised in Christian church. Their dad was a closet drunk and beat them up behind closed doors. This person doesn't want anything to do with God because they associate God with their dad. It's emotional. You can tell them all about creation and the Big Bang and who God is, and it's not going to make a difference. You have to get to the heart of the tragedy and deal with the forgiveness and deal with that out, okay? The, second, the third one is volitional, meaning they've, they're the Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Their life is fine, they're good, they're having a good time, but they want to party, drink, sleep with everybody they want to sleep with, and they don't want everybody to tell them any different. Don't tell me how to run my life. I, I don't want to know if there's a God because I don't really care. Okay, so understand who you're talking to, and you can do that with a simple rephrasing the question back to them. How did you come to that conclusion? Make them build their own case for what they believe, all right? So now let's move into some of the questions I get asked a lot of the time. The uh, number one question we'll start with is, how can you believe in miracles? 
So a person says, well, I, I don't understand. How can you believe in miracles? The Bible is full of all these miracles, you know. Noah and the flood and Jesus raised the dead and healed the lepers and, you know, the seas were parted. There's all these miracles. Isn't this so far-fetched to believe? So this is what I would respond with. I would say, when we talk about, I'm answering the person now. When we talk about creation and, um, you know, the solar system and the earth and everything coming into existence, uh, you believe in the Big Bang, right? And they would say, yes, say yes. So Actually, so do I. I just know who banged it. <laughs> so, and I'll say, well, the thing is, it had to be a very powerful being that created the Big Bang because do you know that time, space, and matter all came into existence at exactly the same moment? That before that, there was no time. There was no space, there was no matter. So that this being who created space, time, and matter, it's only obvious he had to be outside of it. Correct? person's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They had to be outside of it. And this being created space, time, and matter in an instant. He created the universe, whales, your dog, human beings, sunsets. Is it really so far-fetched to believe that this powerful creator couldn't intervene into his creation at any time and either stop, start, or reverse something? Is it so hard to believe that this all-powerful being couldn't stop the sun or part the waters or reverse death or make a tumor disappear? Is it really so hard to believe? I think not. Because, in fact, the greatest miracle of all is creation. So as a believer... Me stepping outside of talking to my, to my friend with a question. Even Christians sometimes ask the question, can you believe in miracles? Well, if you believe in creation, you believe already in the biggest miracle of all. So as believers, let me encourage you that when you hear about a miracle, don't be judgmental or critical. When you see people come up and give a testimony, oh, my back was healed during worship. Don't sit there and say, well, I don't know, maybe it wasn't even really that sore. It wasn't that bad of a backache. You know, maybe it was just minor. We do that. Why do people do that? Because you believe in a God of miracles. Our entire existence is miracles. We literally should be the people that are like, hey, our church, you got miracles every day. Like, people come up, you just get healed. We should be expecting, like, hey, people went forward. I wonder what miracle they're going to get today. Do we have any blind eyes here in the house today? Anybody going to go forward? Like, come, you should, when you pray for somebody, you should be like, are you better? Because, I mean, God, God does miracles, like, all the time. It should happen, like, right now. Like, you should have that expectancy because that is who we serve. A God who began with the miracle. So what I would then say to the person is I'll say, okay, so now can you believe in creation now? And if they say, no, 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 I still just believe that the Big Bang, that it, it, it didn't have a creator. So my response would be, so you believe that time, space, and matter, everything, the whole universe came out of nothing. So nothing created everything. So you actually believe in a greater miracle than I do. <laughs> because actually no way do we see in the history of the world nothing producing something. Because if a Porsche popped into existence right here and now, drivable, brand new, 
we might have to rethink our theology. Okay, but that doesn't happen. Nowhere does nothing produce something amazing. So my friend, in actual fact, you do believe in miracles. And that's the answer to that. See how you just turn it around? Because you're gonna, they've got to go one of two ways when we're dealing with creation or the Big Bang. And either way, we all believe in miracles. Okay? So question number two. Why Christianity over all other religions? People, oh, there's so many religions in the world. How can you be sure that you know, Christianity is the way to go? Super simple answer. I say to them, are you looking for God? Would you look, if this is the point of a religion, is to look for God, right? Yes, yes, that's what I want, God. Well, then start with the only person who ever claimed to be God. Don't bother with Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius. None of them claim to be God. Do you know there's only one man who ever claimed to be God? Jesus. So why waste your time on anybody else? Focus on the one person who claimed to be God. And then... One step further, the only person who ever claimed to be God, he died for his people, which nobody else ever did. He said, I'm going to die for your sins. And then he rose himself from the grave three days later. Again, all the others, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, still in the grave. (laughs) So that is the simple answer to why Christianity over all other religions. See how easy that answer is? Nice and simple easy to do. You answer it in a very powerful way, very short, and they've got it. Number three, why the Bible versus other books like the Book of Mormon or the Quran? Depending on how much time I have with them, I might dive a little into the ancient manuscripts proving that the Bible is one of the most historically accurate documents there are today. If you want to know more about that, come to Bible College. But if I have time, I'll do that. But a really simple answer is this. The Book of Mormon and the the Quran were both written by one person. One man wrote the Book of Mormon. One man wrote the Quran. Each of them had a visit by an angel who told them what to say. And they they wrote these books that became religions. The Bible, on the other hand was written by about 40 different people over the course of 1,500 years. All of these books and authors yet all tie together, prophetically projecting one from the other. It's just one of the most amazing books put together. A a human being couldn't even think of a story like this. I was like, do you know that the book of Genesis spans 2,000 years? Do you know that every author in the New Testament references a story in Genesis, thus proving Genesis happened? So that's a simple answer for you. The Bible also says, listen, if an angel, Paul says, if an angel appears to you and tells you something other than what we've preached, don't believe him, he's cursed. So what happened to the man who wrote the Book of Mormon, the man who wrote the the Quran. An angel appeared, told him something different than the Bible. So that angel was not an angel from God, angel from hell, disguised as an angel. But because he had this amazing experience, he believed it. Never put your experience above the Word of God. Because otherwise you have a religion with 600 million people following you all going to hell. 
because it's a cult, okay? So you have to be very careful when you're, what you're reading, what you're listening to, and what experiences you have. But that's the very simple answer. Listen, the Bible, 40 individuals over 1,500 years, it's not one man's uh, prophetic experience. <coughs> okay, number four. How do we explain the Trinity? Okay, people are like, oh, I, I, it's hard for me to explain to people, you know, there's three persons, but they're all one God. We have one God, yet we call them each God. So I'm super confused. How do I explain the Trinity to somebody? Well, I'm going to show you a little short video, a couple minutes long. This is by Nabil Qureshi. He was a Mormon. I'm sorry, not a Mormon. He was uh, Islam. Um, and he became um, a Christian, and he does one of the best explanations I've heard. So we'll have the lights down, and we'll show this. Thanks. Here is the definition of the Trinity. If you write anything down tonight, write this down. God is one in being and three in person. One in being and three in person. Now, that is not a contradiction. See, if, you, if I said he's one in being and three in being, that's a contradiction. And I'm arguing with myself. If I say he's one in person and three in person, that's a contradiction. God is one in being and three in person. So the next obvious question is, Nabil, what's the difference between a being and a person? Glad you asked. Thank you. The being, a being, is that quality that makes you what you are, or makes a thing what it is. So a being is whatness. And a person is that which makes you who you are. So for example, I am a human being. That's what I am, in case you were confused. I'm a human being. Who I am is not a human being. Who I am is Nabil Qureshi. What I am is a human being. Who I am is Nabil Qureshi. What I am is, is heart, lungs, it's muscles, it's eyes, it's, it's all this, tendons, bones, etc. That's what I am, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a kind, loving, caring, compassionate person, <laughs> as my wife would tell you immediately. <laughs> who I am is very different from what I am. Humans happen to be one being and one person. That's what humans are, one being, one person. God is different. God is one being, Yahweh is what we call God. But he's three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Those three persons are equal because they're all God. They've all existed from the beginning, like John chapter one says, because they're all God. So then the question comes up, well how can Jesus say something like the Father is greater than I if they're all God? And the answer is actually quite simple. Let's say I appointed to the President of the United States. Let's say I said Obama. I can very accurately say Obama is greater than I am. Because when he goes somewhere, he rolls with the posse. <laughs> he's, got, he's the most powerful man in the world. There's news conferences when he sneezes. I mean, he's greater than I am. But is he any more human than I am? No, he's not. He's greater than me in terms of role, but he's not greater than me in terms of essence. In the same way, the Father is greater than the Son in terms of role. 
The Father is superior. The Son is subjected to the Father in terms of role. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15. It says that Jesus is going to subject himself to the authority of the Father so the Father can be all in all. It's because the Father is superior in terms of role. But is he any more God than Jesus is? No, because they're both God. There's only one God, and they're equal in essence, Father, Son, and Spirit. Isn't that good? So good, yes. Great explanation. Thanks, Nabil. All right, so the next question, number five. What does the enemy go after the most in churches? The Holy Spirit. That's the answer, the Holy Spirit. What do we find the most resistance to when people uh, come to church or if people come from other churches um, is the Holy Spirit. And it's not that people don't want to believe in the Holy Spirit. What they don't want to believe in is the the second part of that where we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said, go wait in Jerusalem until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And with that, the evidence of speaking in tongues. The evidence of speaking in tongues is just one of the things you get when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives you power to be a witness. He'll give you, the, all the gifts will be in operation, words of wisdom, uh, uh, word of knowledge, healings. All of this changes when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you hear the stories are when people are touched and filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, there is a change. Oftentimes, in the moment, the power and presence of God is so powerful on them, but then there is an outward change of people when they go. They have more power to witness. Suddenly, they have more clarity. Suddenly, they're burning from the inside, and they want to talk to people and tell people and lay hands on people, and there's a, a shift that happens. But it is the thing that the enemy attacks the most. And it's the thing that when people come in, it's they want to push back on that. I don't know about all that speaking in tongues. And, you know, I think I've already got the Holy Spirit. You do have the Holy Spirit. You couldn't have gotten saved without him. But there's, uh, there's more, okay? There's more that, that God wants you to have. And so it's the big pushback that, that people get. And honestly, it, the, the enemy pushes back against it because he saw what happened. When 120 people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they couldn't keep quiet. In one day, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people. Because what? He's seen these people. He's like, I don't know what happens when they get get that Holy Spirit, but they get crazy. They can't shut up. They want to tell everybody. They're all talking about it. They just want to lay hands on people. It's just happening. I don't know what's going on. Something changes in them. Now, let me say, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might have met some people that 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 can speak in tongues, and their life looks really no different. Because you're right, this is not a one-step fix-it-all, like get filled with the Holy Spirit in your whole life. You're never going to have to work on anything else. You still have to work on your character. You still have to read the Bible. You still have to develop the gifts. You still have to do everything. This is not a... And so trust me, I've met people that speak in tongues, and I wish they wouldn't. Because it does, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, people, just, you know, you know, please, let that Holy Spirit help you a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but... Um, you know, so please don't tell me that I'm like, well, yeah, they're speaking tongues. There, they could be the biggest hypocrite. You know, I'm not saying it's a it, it's a fixal, but what I'm saying is that so much of the body of Christ is struggling on their own, trying to get through things. Why do I keep falling? Why do I keep stumbling? Why can't I have the courage to speak out? Because you're not fully filled with the Holy Spirit, who you can walk in that power and that grace and see the change that comes. It's the thing the enemy pushes back against the most. The other side of that is that people push back against it because of this word that you're not going to like it, but I'm going to say it, pride. Or people say, well, you know, I only want, if I only want, I don't want to do anything weird that's not of God. I only want to do what God wants. So, you know, I only want what God wants. It's a false humility. 
Because if you attend our church long enough and you listen to Apostle Henry and you listen to me and you love the word, then what you're saying is, I trust you on everything you're saying except this. How can you do that? How can you trust everything we are and then not trust us when we tell you this gift is for you? Because everybody we pray for receives. I went, when I told you, when I've taken my team to India, we didn't even touch the people. We said, stand up. There, were, there was the, the last night of the conference, there were 250 people that stood up and they received without anybody touching them. People falling over in the power, nobody touching them. Like nobody told them this is what you should do. The Holy Spirit can fill anybody. It's not a case of, it's a case of humbling yourself and saying yes. But the other thing is people are like, I'm going to sound funny. I don't know what I'm going to say. What are those words going to come out of my mouth? You're right. You're going to sound funny. Get over it. All these other people got over it. We have grown men, you know, men come forward and they're like, and they just get wrecked by the power of God. And it's like, that's that's what's speaking in tongues. You have the kids next door. You send your kids to children's church. He's going to come home speaking in tongues. It happens all the time. The parents are like, what did you do to my kid? We went to pray at the lunch table and I know what's happening here now. Because kids just receive, they have no problem. Teenagers. That's another one for you. When the teenagers get hit, people, they're not going to make up anything for anybody. They're not, forget that, you know. So it has to be real, people. And it's real and it's genuine. And the thing about when you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the evidence of speaking in tongues, when you go through a rough patch or if you ever have a moment where you're like, is this even real? Is God even real? Because everything feels so far away from me. All you have to do is open up your mouth and go, Okay, I forgot it's real. It's real because I don't make that up. Like, I don't know where it gave me that. That's like a weird language. Like, who's, I don't, you know. It, it's evidence. It's the one thing God gave us that you have personally evidence that God is real. All right, my last question as I finish up is, who do you think Jesus is? Whenever I talk to people, people want to get sidetracked. If I know this person I'm speaking with has not made a commitment to the Lord, they're not a believer. But most times they have, they have the, they want to deal with all the other surrounding issues. What about abortion? What about LGBT? What about this? What about this? Uh, the, the easiest thing to do is, even if they're a close friend of yours and you've never really asked them, you could say, you know what? I'm just really curious because we talk about a lot of subjects, you and I, and I don't think I've ever really asked you. You know, who do you, who do you think Jesus is? or was, for that matter of fact, who do you think Jesus is? And ask them sincerely, not with any judgment, like you want to know what they think. And let them answer. Okay, well, well I, think he was a, I think he was a good teacher. Well, first of all, if they say he doesn't exist, then you can't, at that point you can roll your eyes at them and say, girl, okay? The history books outside of the Bible say a man named Jesus lived and everything. Let's, that's not an answer, Okay. Scratch that, start again. Who do you think Jesus is? Okay, just don't let them get away with that because it's not true. The history books prove that it was a man named Jesus, okay? <clears throat> so who do you think he is? Oh, I think he, was a, I think he was a teacher. I think he was probably a good teacher. And then you go, okay. So he was, you think he was a teacher. He taught good things. Yeah, 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 because, you know, we, all, we use so many of his sayings to this day. Yeah, 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 I think that's what I'm saying. I think he was a good teacher. So the... The problem I have with that, though, is because he said he was God. He also said he was the only way to God and that no other religion would make it to God except through him. So what do you think about that? 
is he still a good teacher if he was leading people astray? Because you're saying he wasn't God, he was a teacher. So do you think then that he was lying and he knew he was lying? Well, no, maybe, well, yeah, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Because if he was lying and he knew he was lying, that would make him a liar. And that wouldn't make him a good teacher because he was leading all those people the wrong way. And all these people that follow him to this day are, are not believing in the right God, right? Because he was lying about what he was saying. So, okay, well, so maybe he, maybe he wasn't lying deliberately. So he wasn't lying deliberately. So he thought he was telling the truth is what you're saying. Yes, yes. I think he thought he was telling the truth. Oh, so he was crazy. So he was a lunatic. No, because that's what you call a person who thinks they're telling the truth, but they, they're not. Especially when your, your brother comes home and is like, I think I'm God. He'd be like, yeah, go, go. What are you smoking today, right? Like, come on. You know, that's what you would say to somebody. So you think if he was lying and he didn't know it, then he was crazy. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe he was crazy. Well, that's pretty impressive for a crazy man because he said some amazing things. Do you know that constitutions are built around things that he's said? Do you know that his words are still taught for 2,000 years later? You know, what do they teach you in first grade? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you want done unto you. Do you know who said that? The crazy man. <laughs> Jesus. Do you really think that a crazy man's words would still be carrying 2,000 years later? That they would still be based on it? That all these lives would be changed by a crazy man's words? And I mean, at what point, if he was a liar or if he was a lunatic, at what point would he have given up the charade? If he was a crazy man, they would be documented at least somewhere. He did cartwheels down the hill in his robe. Because let's be honest, you can't keep up crazy all the time. You know, the crazy is going to show through somewhere. Somewhere is going to be like, okay, the cartwheels are getting a bit much, you know. Like, come on, right? Like, you can't, right? And then if he was lying, if he was a liar, I'm telling you, when that first whip, that cat and nine tails hit his back and ripped off his skin, he would have spun around and been like, so kidding about the whole Christ thing. Not God. Please stop. I take it back. No way he goes through that as a liar, willingly, knowingly. So then, okay, so if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, I guess he must be Lord. Because that's the only other option we have. So do you see how easily I answered that question with them? Took them down the road with it. And just encourage them, make them think, because a lot of people want to throw something out there and they want to leave it and they want to let it hang and think it's okay. But if you actually just logically look at it, it doesn't make any sense. He can't be one or the other. Now, he could be Lord. Maybe they're not really ready to deal with that, and that's okay. Once you've gotten to the Lord place, then you can, depending on where they're at with that, depending on if the conversation is open, if they keep going, then you can keep talking. However, if you feel like you've just hit them with a tidal wave and they can't breathe, then you might as well say, oh, so let's order. What should we have today? And finish it. Because you've got to realize you've shaken their entire existence. You have to let people have time to process. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. Don't keep pushing, okay? Know when to back away. Know when to switch the subject. Know when to walk away, okay? Know when to roll them. No kidding. So, <laughs> well, Kenny Rogers coming back there. 
All right. Um, as we close, I want to show you something that's super encouraging. Um, it's uh, it's what, what would happen if we all just discipled one person. So I'm going to put the first slide up. Um, so if one person is saved and I go looking for one other person and I disciple them through that year, at the end of this year, there would be two of us. Look, I did well in math. Okay, so the next year, now, this person I just discipled, her and I each go find somebody to disciple for that year. We both disciple somebody. At the end of the year, second year, there's four of us. Okay, let's see. Let's see the next one. Then the year three, four of us go get another four. At the end of the year, there's eight. We'll jump on down, keep going. Year four, there's now 16 of us. Keep going for me. Year five, 16 and 16 is 32. Keep going. The next year, there's 64. The seventh, there's 128. Keep going. We'll get down to year 10. Now, we've been doing this for 10 years. There's a 1,000 of us already. Just in 10 years, folks. Okay, let's, let's jump ahead to the next slide. Year 11, keep going. Year 15, stop right there. Year 20, there's 1 million of us. In just 20 years, there would be 1 million people serving the Lord discipled. And that's taking a whole year with one person. That's not quick decision, let them go. This is sitting with somebody, answering their questions, calling them every week, making time. What's on your heart? Let's talk about some scriptures. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Talking to them, counseling them, sharing with them. And you don't have to be a pastor to disciple somebody. You know enough to help somebody else that doesn't know anything. So let's jump ahead. After year 20, year 25, 33 million. Let's jump ahead to year 30. One billion people in 30 years. What would it be in 33 years? Year 33, the entire world would be saved. Eight billion people. If each person would just disciple one person a year. And God's plan would the entire world would be saved. Can we look for one person? One person and focus on that person and Call them and set up tea and make time and schedule it in your busy schedule to make time for somebody else's life that you could impact, that you could pray for. And not just pray for them, but meet them. And when you meet with them, make it a point to talk about the things of God. Help them along the way. Pray with them. Pick them up. Bring them to church, whatever it takes. Bring them to the prayer meetings. You can do this. I want to, I would, as we close, I want to pray. If you want to, if your heart, if, if you're like, God, this is me. I want, I, I, I want more of this. I want, I want to reach people. I want to do more. And, and maybe you need more courage. Maybe you just need a release. I'm going to pray and I'm just going to release an anointing over you this morning that God's going to bring people across your path, that God's going to give you the words, the wisdom that's already in you because the word is in you. You just have to open your mouth and speak it out. So if that's you this morning and you're burning, you're like, God, yes, bring those people. I'm ready. I want to be a laborer. Then stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Wherever you are, just stay in your chair. Just stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.
Father God, I know that this is your commission for us. This is your great commission, Lord, that we would open our mouths, that we would teach, that we would share, that we would disciple. Lord, and I know that as we step out and do the commission, Father, that you will follow your word with signs and wonders, Father, that you would follow your word with power, God. Lord, that you would bless the work, Father, that you would bless the words. Father, right now, I release an anointing upon these people, God, that have stood for you, Lord. I release an anointing, Father, upon them, a a new fire, God, a new hunger, a new desire, God. But on top of that, Lord, the words to speak, that as they open their mouths, the words would gush out of their mouth, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, that the gifts would pour out of them, God, that you'd give them the wisdom and the discernment on know how to speak, what to speak, when to speak. Lord, I ask now that you would bring the people across their path that are hungry, that are ready for an encounter with you. Lord, you said the fields are ripe with harvest, Lord. Lord, open our eyes to see the ones that are hurting and broken around us, Lord. Get our, that we want to get our eyes off ourselves onto those around us, Lord. So make it known, God. Make it known. I pray, God, that you would just bring those people across their paths, Lord, because we in this moment declare to you, Father, we lay our lives down. Lord, we stand as an oath before you that when that person comes, God, we will put aside ourselves and we will put them first and we will put your kingdom first, Lord, and we will spend the time with them, Lord. We do this, God. We honor you today as we make this oath before you, God. And I thank you, Lord, that they will honor it. They will fulfill it, Lord, and we will see an increase for your kingdom in the years to come. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. All right. Well, if, I'm going to ask the ministry, to come, ministry team to come forward uh, as we close today. If you need prayer for anything, Whatever that is, you need somebody to stand in prayer with you, in agreement for you, whatever is going on in your life, uh, then just come forward as we close and uh, speak to one of the ministry team. Um, And uh, otherwise, have a great Sunday. Enjoy your Sunday and be looking for that person. God's sending them to you. Okay? Amen? Amen.